following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know, I understand it is the third week, the beginning of the third week in 2023. So we're still, I mean, it's going to move fast. It's going to move fast. But, uh, and when I talk about this, you're going to think, boy, Man, they're a little ahead of schedule, aren't they? Well, you kind of have to be sometimes when you choose to go on vacation somewhere that a lot of other people like to go to, all right? So this whole week, and this has been quite a journey <laughs> for some of, some of our, our family who's here and part of the church, not just family through Christ, but family through family, you know what I'm saying? And um, there was a kind of a group that came together to decide where we're going to go in Florida, we're going to go in Florida about the middle to the end of July, and my goodness, I think, I think my sister-in-law, Denise, who was away from her phone for a little while, she's a teacher down in Commerce, and she said she got to her phone, and there, I think she said 87 messages in two hours. You ever been a part of a text group like that? Woo, yeah. All right, but there's a lot that goes into this when you're trying to pick a place to go, and when you go to Florida, you go to Florida for a reason, Okay. Because your family talks you into it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is a little bit of a part of this. I figure if our daughters and my loving wife is willing to put up with jeeping in Colorado occasionally, that I can put up with the beach. I'm a little bit kind of like a Phil Robertson. When I think of the beach, I kind of think of spending. <laughs> I don't go as far as him, though. He says, it's like, it's, it's like hell. That's, that's basically what he says. He says, that's, that's, that's the beach, you know. So that's, I'm not there. I'm not there, but I am going there, going to enjoy the time with my family. But here's the thing. You go to Florida, this is what you want. These are the questions to get asked. Okay, we're getting house, all right? All right, how, clo- how close is it to the water? How close is it to the water? Next question is this. Can you see the ocean out the windows, okay? And if you can't, there's got to be something to weigh into that just a little bit, all right? If, if you can't, how far of a walk is it to the ocean? How about this one? It, it, depending on where you're at in Florida or other parts of the Gulf, um, are, you on, are you on the bay side or are you, are you on kind of more the, 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 the Gulf side? You know, because there's a difference there. Here's another one. What's the water look like? Yeah, because apparently it needs to be blue because the whole time we will float above the ocean and it needs to be blue when we look down. Do you understand that? No, I don't, I don't understand the water thing quite so much, but it is nice when it's clear. Look, if I wanted to go to the beach in muddy water, I'd go to Copan, okay? All right, so, so these are the questions. These are the questions that, that gets asked, okay? And when it comes to Florida, it's all about the water. It's all about the water. If you don't like golf and you live in Florida, you live by the water. That's what it is. It's kind of interesting, guys. When we look at this passage of Scripture today, there are a couple very, very strong points made in this passage. We're over halfway through Acts now, right? And as I said, understand something. A lot of what not just we as a local congregation, but what the church as a whole does and how the church as a whole does church comes from Acts, okay? Because we see it spelled out. This is our history. It's ours. Okay, so as we, we look at this and we look through this history, we're over halfway through. Two things are going to become very important today, and it's going to be highlighted. Now, the first one, all over the book of Acts, and that is the Holy Spirit. 
okay? What you see taking place within the book of Acts, more specifically within the church, it's taking place by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's taking place in individuals' lives, we see some of that too in the book of Acts, is taking place by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see, once again, the Holy Spirit matters, all right? And we're also going to see in a couple, in a couple of different encounters here, I kind of hesitate to call it this, but for lack of a better term, I'm going to, because our minds go certain places with this, but a couple of confrontations here. Okay? Not all confrontations have to end badly, all right? And what we see take place in these situations that the Holy Spirit is incredibly important. And you know something else? Water matters as well. Okay, so when we have wrapped up here in the end of Acts chapter 18, we have wrapped up the second missionary journey of Paul. We looked at that last week some. We won't spend a lot of time on on our our first verse here that we're looking at, verse 23. Um, Basically what it amounts to is Paul has just gotten through with some much needed rest and the third missionary journey of Paul begins. Here's something we just got to cover very, very quickly. Look closely. There's no Silas this time. First missionary journey of Paul, he took Barnabas with him. They had a parting of ways. Second missionary journey, he took Silas. This missionary journey, he did have traveling companions. Some of them we mentioned by name before we're done. But there's no Silas. And all we can really come away from that is this. Is Silas, his job's kind of done. All right, Silas is originally from Jerusalem. If you remember what came right before the second missionary journey, there was this really big controversy within the church. This, Gentiles, some were saying, need to be circumcised. You men need to be circumcised if you're going to be a part of the church. It's kind of a big deal. All right, and the Jerusalem council, they said, no, 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 no. No, Jesus is enough. You Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Right? So there was a contingent that went with Paul on this missionary journey to take this message to some of these churches. And the contingent was represented by a guy by the name of Silas. And now that has kind of been done. It is kind of done and over with. Um, Silas kind of drops out of Acts history here. He will be mentioned again a little bit later um, by the Apostle Peter in one of his letters. So he's still around, but he's no, no longer on this journey. As I told you, there will be some different members traveling with Paul on this journey, one that's kind of a given that's with him the majority of the time, and we'll see him enter and and out, but he's kind of his young apprentice, is Timothy, all right? So Timothy is along. Um, Tim, go go ahead and pull up that map. Okay, this is Paul's third missionary journey. Remember, the first missionary journey was around 1,200 miles, okay? And it's about a year and a half is how long it took. Second missionary journey that just wrapped up was a missionary journey that took about three years and covered a, a almost 2,000 miles. It got much, much, much bigger, okay? Now, this missionary journey is four years long, and it covers well over 2,500 miles. And here's the thing, folks. As we're going to see today, this is important. The majority of that journey was spent in one place, a city that wore the name Ephesus. Paul, at the end of his second journey, on his way back to Jerusalem, stayed there for just a little while, and he left Priscilla and Aquila, his good friends, and he went on back to the church in Antioch. All right, so let's take a look at this. This is kind of what we're looking at. Uh, Yeah, just just get that kind of in your mind. We'll look at this more in in the weeks to come. Um, Paul, as we'll see in this verse we're about to read, he travels through this region of Galatia, visiting old churches. Cool thing about that is um, these people are veterans, 
All right, and this is strange because the church is only, you're only talking about the church being around for a decade and a half to two decades at this point. So when you got people who've been followers of Jesus for five years, like, man, you've been at this a little while, haven't you? All right, so when he visits these churches in Galatia, and there's a number of them, he comes and, and he, it's just like seeing old friends again, um, visiting them. Um, they're old friends who've really been through a lot. So go ahead and pull that down, Tim. Let's go ahead and get with it here. Um, verse 23, having spent some time there, that's in Antioch, Paul was resting, every missionary journey started in Antioch, so that's where he leaves. He left and he passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. It's interesting, when you have this verse 23 of Acts 18, you kind of pair that with verse 1 of Acts 19, and what you see is Paul covering 1,200 miles in two verses. It's kind of funny, Dr. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, when he's not along, he doesn't put quite as much detail. Imagine that, all right? And, um, but, but there's a lot that happens in those two verses right there, okay? As we've already talked about that, Paul visiting old friends. And Paul makes his way to Ephesus. Remember, a couple times ago, and which would be ballpark, eh, about, about two and a half, three years before, when Paul, I say two, two years before Paul wanted to go to Ephesus and the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. But this time he travels to Ephesus and the Holy Spirit is good with it. You go there and you get the job done, all right? And when he gets, his, when he gets to Ephesus, he finds out something. His good friends, that husband-wife team of Priscilla and Aquila, have been hard at work. And we're going to see a little bit of that work in today's passage. Um, you know something, and maybe you're a little bit like this, when things go right, okay, are you the type of person who thinks about how they could have gone wrong, or does it not even cross your mind, okay? I told you our family sometimes goes on vacation out to Colorado, and we go jeeping. I have a very, very patient family, okay? And, and, and the thing is, they're not only patient, they're also very trusting, because when you're, when you're when you're dealing with situations when not all four tires stay on the ground at the same time, you know, and then you've got a drop off there of anywhere from 500 to 5,000 feet, maybe that's a little bit of exaggeration, but it looks like it, okay? And, and, and when you make it through those kind of precarious situations, just fine and everything goes right, you just don't think about what would have happened if it had gone wrong. You know what I'm saying? Your mind just doesn't, maybe, maybe you've been there before. Maybe, just maybe you're one of those people who like to pass at the end of the passing zone. Is that any of you? All right. And your car doesn't match up with your ambition. Because some of you do that and your car matches your ambition. Okay. Vroom, vroom, vroom. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. Some of you, you're driving the sedan. You're driving the crossover. Don't pass at the end of the passing zone. Just don't do it. I'm tired of slamming all my brakes. People in my lane coming to my direction, all right? And, but you pass the hill, and just as you get around them, there's that car coming over that hill, and you're like, boy, I'm glad I didn't do that two, three seconds later, you know? I don't know about you. I'm not a big fan of the hair on the back of my neck standing up. I'm just not. I don't like to think about what can happen if things go kind of badly. You know what I'm saying? The majority of people don't like confrontation. Some people don't necessarily look forward to it, but they're pretty good at handling it. Some people look forward to it, and they're probably not the people who should be dealing with it, all right? But most people 
aren't big fans of confrontation. But let's understand something. We'll see from today's scripture that not all confrontations have to have rough endings. Okay? They don't. When we look at verse 24 of Acts, you know something we're going to find out? We're going to be introduced to a New Testament book of Acts rock star. Okay? And this is his name. There was a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man. He came to Ephesus and he was mighty. He was mighty in the scriptures. Okay, a little bit about this Apollos. We'll talk about him quite a bit today. Um, this Apollos guy, first of all, he's from Alexandria. That is, that is a city in Egypt. Now, whereas you have, you have like Athens, you have Tarsus, you have some places that are kind of intellectual learning centers, Alexandria was kind of that of Egypt. Um, they, they had scholars, they had teachers, they, they had it all, all right? And that's where this guy was from. Um, it's, it's encouraging to know that the message of Jesus had reached there. As I said, this has been going on for close to two decades now, all right? And the message of Jesus had reached all the way out to Alexandria, Egypt. Something about Apollos, a couple things. This fellow knew his stuff. He knew his stuff, and he also knew something else. He knew how to preach, all right? He was, he was quite the wordsmith. As a matter of fact, there are those who compared Paul to Apollos in Corinth. We'll enter the picture today a little bit. And, and they, they like to, I'll just tell you this, when it came to preaching, speaking ability, and you compared Paul with Apollos, Paul did not, he didn't show too favorably. It was Apollos who had the silver tongue, all right? So this guy not only knew his stuff, he also knew how to preach, and that's quite a combination, and he was very quickly catching the attention of people in Ephesus by his message. There was one problem, though. His message wasn't complete. So let's take a look at it. Verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. That fervent in spirit tells us this guy was not only intelligent and very good with his words. You take those two variables right there and you combine them with this quality of being passionate about what you're saying and you end up with a Billy Graham type of fella here, okay? All right? So, let's continue on. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Okay, so somehow or another, Apollos had learned about Jesus. Exactly how much he knew about Jesus, we're kind of unsure. But what he did know about Jesus, he was presenting very well and accurately. It tells us, though, that he was only acquainted with the baptism of John. Now, let's, let's clarify this so make sure we all understand. This is speaking of John the Baptist, who's a big player in the early life of the Gospels. When I say the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was a cousin of Jesus. He was, he was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was brought to prepare the way for Jesus. And he baptized people in the Jordan River. And his baptism was one of repentance. And his ministry, his preaching, was one of expectation. In other words, 
He said repeatedly, I'm not the guy. He even told some of his own followers to leave him and go to Jesus. He's the one who had this incredible saying that my goodness, brothers and sisters, every one of us should adopt in our lives after we become followers of Jesus Christ. And it's this, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. And when he looked at Jesus, he told the people, because he was a popular guy. He was bold. My goodness, he was kind of like Apollos in some ways, okay? And, and he told people, I'm not even worthy to tie and untie this guy's sandals, all right? He's up here, I'm down here. So that's the John that we are talking about. His entire message was one. It's one of expectation. There is something coming. He called it specifically, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. And you better repent. You better get ready. Well, it's apparent that Apollos did not get his information from people who were in Jerusalem at Pentecost that we see depicted in Acts chapter 2. How we know this is, now, now there were people from Alexandria, you can read that in Acts chapter 2, there were people from all over the world there celebrating Pentecost, Jews. And they are the first ones, many of them, to hear the gospel preached by the apostle Peter. And we know, we know that, that, that Apollos doesn't get their information from them. Because they would have given Apollos more information. It wasn't the baptism of John. What we find out in Acts 2 when the gospel's preached, it's, it's Christian baptism. It's, it's baptism, it's, it's water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila, they hear this message. They hear Apollos speaking. And while they're quite impressed... They see his message wasn't complete. There was something missing from it. Let's take a look at it. Verse 26. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. This guy is not just preaching in the marketplace. He's going to the synagogue. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Paul. All right? This guy's not afraid. He's not afraid to mix it up a little bit. Continuing on. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. (laughs) What exactly did Priscilla and Aquila explain to him? You tell me, because I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that's basically what it tells us. Uh, That's a good question. Um, Did Apollos know about the death and resurrection of Jesus? I mean, he was preaching about, don't don't misunderstand me. What he knew about Jesus, he was presenting accurately. He just didn't know the whole thing. Did he know about Jesus, that he had died, that he was buried and resurrected, which is the gospel? Did he know about the coming of the Holy Spirit? What we do know, what we do know is in whatever way his knowledge was lacking, And Priscilla and Aquila filled him in with the whole truth. And they filled him in with courtesy and with tact. It says they took him aside. Is is that what your Bible says? Something along those lines? Does it say this? They, They said, wait a minute, preacher. You're wrong. All right? You don't have the whole story, okay? Did they start coming after him right in the middle of everybody? Could have they done that? Was his message complete? No, it wasn't. Is that what they did? No. They took him aside and they explained the way of God to him 
more full. It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul, we speak about this quite often because it's part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus yet today. And of all places, of all places, Apollos is doing this in Ephesus, people. Okay? Ephesus. And of all places, in the book of Ephesians of our New Testament, that's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus years later. We get this directive from Paul. And it's this. We, as representatives of Jesus Christ, we speak the truth in love. In love. Priscilla and Aquila could have yelled out right there in the middle of the synagogue and say, you're wrong. You're not saying what's right. Would, would they have been truthful? Absolutely. He, he wasn't presenting the full story. Would it have been done in love? No. Or they could have just said, well, he's kind of got it right. It's better than nothing. We don't want to hurt his feelings. You know, I mean, he's a powerful guy out there. We'll just kind of let him keep doing his thing. Oh, we care, but we don't want to hurt his feelings. So we'll just keep our mouths shut. That would be loving, I guess, but it wouldn't be truthful. But what they did, they presented the truth in love. And my goodness, the results are pretty extraordinary. Let's see what happens next. Verse 27. And when he, Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren, which that says something to me, the people in Corinth, you've already got some people who are believers. I'm telling you, Priscilla and Aquila have been hard at work. All right? There's already a church there begun. It says, when Apollos, when he wanted to go to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Who wrote them? Who knows? Who knows people over in Ephesus from Corinth? They, the people of F Corinth know Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila were the ones probably in part who sent this letter. And they wrote to the disciples in Corinth to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So... Apollos goes across the Aegean Sea. He doesn't just go to the region of Achaia. He goes to the capital of Corinth. And when we see this, actually we get a little bit of, a little bit of a hint of what Priscilla and Aquila told him when they pulled him aside. This is kind of cool. This is what you do when you take parts of the Bible and you begin to put them together. Because when we see 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see something that gives us a hint of what he was instructed and how he was instructed. He goes to Corinth, he continues to preach Jesus, but now more accurately, and he baptizes, not with the baptism of John, but the baptism in the name of Jesus. Um, how do we know that he was presenting a water baptism? Because of what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Many of you who have come to the Wednesday night class know that the people in Corinth like to argue. You know anybody who likes to argue? Okay. All right, uh, They like to argue, and one of the things they were arguing about is who baptized them into Jesus. They were like, well, Paulus baptized me. He's a silver-tongued wordsmith. You got baptized by Paul. That guy can't even talk without stuttering. All right? I got baptized by Paulus. And there's some, well, I got baptized by Peter. He's the rock on whom the church is built. Peter himself. 
And they began dividing into groups according to who baptized them. Can you believe that? All right. And Paul comes at him. He says, was Paul crucified for you? He says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, he's upset. He's absolutely upset. He says, I'm glad I didn't baptize very many of you. Because this is stupid. He said, it's about Jesus. He says, we are together in Jesus. So what we get from all of this is this. Apollos, in his instruction, was told about Christian baptism because he went to Corinth and that's exactly what he did. And the Holy Spirit was a big part of this. We're going to see this in a big way here in just a second. Apollos, by the way, went on to do some really big things for Christ. Okay, really, really big things. There are some people, later on in our New Testament, you have a book called Hebrews and the Hebrew writer does not claim a name. It's one of the few places in the New Testament books where the writer doesn't say who they are. And there are many who believe as Apollos. Some believe it was Paul. Some believe that it might have been, some believe maybe Peter. We don't know for certain, but I will tell you this, that it shows you how big Apollos was for Jesus. To just, he was even considered as somebody who could have gotten that job done. Imagine what would have happened if Priscilla and Aquila had not confronted Apollos in love. They've not pulled him aside. They've not loved him enough to confront him and tell him he needs to, pull, to preach the full message of the truth, but to do it tactfully in love. Things could be a whole lot different in the first century and even today. You ever met somebody? Have you ever met somebody a long, long ways from home that you're supposed to know? And, 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 and you're looking at them, and you're like, I have no clue. Absolutely no, who cl- no clue who this is. And yeah, I went to high school with you. Hmm. Okay, and then you start, you, you start trying to weave in to figure out their name without letting them know that you don't know their name. Okay, I call those pop quizzes, and I don't like pop quizzes. Okay, especially when the pop quizzes happen in Colorado or Utah or something like that. If they happen closer to home, then you're at least somewhat prepared for it. But when it happens out there, like I don't have a clue who this is. See, there's a difference between pop quizzes and finals. You know what a final is? A class reunion. Because you know what you do. You get out the yearbook and you start looking it over. Okay, you're like, okay, okay, that's him. Okay, he's married to her but not anymore. She's married to him and he's married to her and they were family and, and, and you're just going through and you're looking more and more and you study and you study because you don't want to get there and not know somebody's name. There's a reason why people don't go to class reunions because we don't like being tested but a pop quiz is the worst because you find them in Walmart, you find them all over the place, and you're like, I don't have a clue. We went to high school together, and I know you guys, but I don't know them all, do you? You probably do, because you two are a lot smarter than me. But, but I don't, I don't. All right, sometimes the world's a little too small. You ever feel that way? I just want to go someplace where nobody knows my name. Not everybody, okay? On the heels of this meeting between Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, we find another group of men with tremendous potential with only partial information. Let's take a look at it. 
Happens in Ephesus again. I told you, Priscilla and Aquila are busy, and now, now Paul's going to be busy. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so he's over there doing his thing in Corinth at this point, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. Going on, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. All right. So we got these fellas, and like Apollos, they only have part of the information, part of the story. How did this happen? Had they heard Apollos preach before Apollos got straightened out a little bit by Priscilla and Aquila? I don't know. Maybe these guys were disciples from John the Baptist from years and years ago. Like I said, we're we're working on about two decades, probably a little more from that time, but I'm sure John the Baptist was a powerful preacher, powerful one. And there were probably still followers of his around. Okay? Um, Paul figures out either through conversation with these men or observation. Maybe even these guys were bold enough that they were beginning to talk about Jesus much like Apollos was. And Paul overheard him. We don't know exactly. But somehow or another, Paul catches wind. He hears what they're saying. And he figures out that there's something missing here. Okay? First thing missing here was the Holy Spirit, and and that's kind of a big deal. All right, the Holy Spirit is the mover and shaker within the church. The Holy Spirit is the mover and shaker within individuals who make up the church. It was that way then, it's that way now. The Holy Spirit is foundational to everything that we do. Do you guys realize this? It's the Holy Spirit is the primary reason that Jesus had to leave physically from this world. Before his death, burial, and resurrection, he told his disciples, it is better for you that I leave so that the helper can come. And who was that helper? The Holy Spirit. So this is kind of a big deal, okay? And Paul obviously connects baptism with the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at this. Verse 3. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Continuing on. And Paul said to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. You see, as we've already said, everything John did was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And he was very outspoken about this. Now here's something that I think sometimes we forget, and we should not. Much of what Jesus did was to prepare the way for who? The Holy Spirit. In much way, in many, many ways, now Jesus did more than that, but even his sacrifice was in preparation so that the Spirit could come live within the people of God. So you've got John preparing the way for Jesus, you've got Jesus preparing the way for the Holy Spirit. And you've got these fellas, there's 12 of them by the way, we find out in verse 7, they don't even know there's a Holy Spirit. So... Paul says, well, we gotta, we got we to gotta fix this, all right? So Paul, much like his good friends, Priscilla and Aquila, 
is humble and desiring to help these 12 men. And much like the private conference with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, this meeting goes pretty well too, all right? Look what happens as a result. Verse 5. When they heard this, when these 12 men, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized into the water, into the Spirit. This is a little different, though. It's just a little different. Look at verse 6. It says this, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Okay. When I look back to the Acts chapter 2, and you have the gospel presented... Okay, you got, you got some guys there doing some pretty phenomenal things. They are speaking the gospel in languages that they don't even know. And they don't even know that they're doing this. They're speaking the gospel in a language they know, and people out there are hearing it being spoken in their own language. And there were a bunch of people there, folks, all right? A lot of different dialects, a lot of different languages represented. So you've got that taking place, and then at the conclusion of the sermon... When the people say, what should we do? And Peter gives them this command. They've already believed and been convicted, obviously, or they wouldn't be asking what they do. And Peter says, repent and let you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. I don't see them getting hands laid upon them by the apostles and all of this taking place. So my question is, what gives here? I'll tell you something. When the capital A apostles, and by capital A apostles, I want you to understand what I'm referring to. Those are the 12, the 11 men, because Judas is gone, who spent that three-year period around with Jesus. Okay? And these men are the ones whom Jesus says it's through you that the message is going to come. And that's the, way, that's the way that this works. Capital A Apostles. Okay? Now, when you look in Acts, in capital A Apostles, it usually has something to do with Peter. All right? And when you see capital A Apostles lay hands on people and the Holy Spirit is given and spiritual gifts are bestowed in a very visible, miraculous way, something big is going on. It only happens twice in the book of Acts, in Acts 8 and in Acts 10. In Acts 8, guess what? Up to that point in time, it was only Jews who were followers of Jesus. They were the only ones who had the opportunity. And then all of a sudden, what you get? You get a God-fearer in there, an Ethiopian eunuch, but he's as much Jewish as he can be, all right? Then you get into Acts chapter 8, and it's Samaritans. And let me tell you something. The Jews and Samaritans put them in a room together see what happens. Didn't like each other too much at all. At all. So, they come to the Lord and God puts a stamp of approval on them. The Holy Spirit. There's a laying on of hands and these gifts given. And basically God's saying, I accept them. They are my people. Acts chapter 10, you see something very similar. This time it's not Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breeds, all right? Half-Jew, kind of half-Gentile type of deal. And that's how the Jews saw them, half-breeds, all right? 
in, in Acts chapter 10, you got Peter right in the middle of this again, and they're Gentiles, full-on Gentiles. That's probably most of us in this room. Okay? And before Peter even begins speaking the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell. Peter didn't lay hands on the Holy Spirit just fell on them. They're, they're speaking in tongues. They're doing all these, these miraculous things. And Peter's like, whoa. All right? And the people from Jerusalem are with him are like, whoa. All right? And they say, what do we do with this? And Peter said, how can we not put them in the water? God himself has put his seal. Remember that word on them. So here's what I'm telling you. When something like this takes place in the book of Acts and Luke records it, something big is usually going on. Ephesus? Ephesus would become another center of operations for Gentile mission work. We're going to read a lot about Ephesus in the rest of the book of Acts. And you read through church history, Ephesus is right in the middle of things, a whole bunch. Paul would spend the majority of the third missionary journey right there in Ephesus, preaching and teaching these people. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, these 12 men were right in the middle of all the good that would take place in Ephesus in the years to come. We simply just do not know. But I got a feeling these guys did some pretty powerful things for the Lord. And once again, what if Paul hadn't had the courage to come to them and give them the whole truth and to do it in a loving way? What do we know from these two examples? From the end of Acts chapter 18 and the beginning of Acts chapter 19, we know this. We know the Holy Spirit matters. We know that. You know what else we know? We know the water matters. They both matter. Holy Spirit is a seal. Have you heard that before? Does that sound kind of scriptural? Like God put his seal on his people and that seal is the Holy Spirit? Is this, have you, are you thinking this language? It's, you can find language like that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2. Okay, I will tell you right now, we are just, just starting a journey through 2 Corinthians on Wednesday night, in-depth Bible study. It'd be a great time to join us on Wednesday night. We'd absolutely love to have you. We get a whole lot more deep than we have the time to do on a Sunday morning. And we'd absolutely love to have you join us, all right? Well, in the very beginning there, of that, that letter from Paul to the Corinthian church, he talks about, about the Holy Spirit being a seal, being a pledge. But you know what I thought? There's another place it's mentioned in Scripture, and maybe that's the one we ought to look at, because guess where it's written? Book of Ephesians. Where are we right now? Ephesus. So let's take a look at it. You can turn there if you'd like. I cheated. Sorry. I knew we were going to go there, and I marked it. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. This is where we're going to stop today. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at a couple verses here. Verses 13 and 14. This is what it says. In him. Now understand something. Greek, much like English, has one very important rule, Bill. When you use a pronoun, you go to the nearest antecedent. All right, so you do that here, and it's Jesus. Okay? So you can take that him out of there, since we're kind of pulling this out, and you can put Jesus in there. I'm going to do that. In Christ you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now there's a word there that's important, the Holy Spirit of promise, and then it even gets better. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view 
to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Right, so this Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit of promise, this, this Holy Spirit that was promised by God, and as we looked at last week, God always keeps his promises, okay? So this Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge, some of your versions might say something a little bit different there, because literally what it's getting at by this pledge is a down payment down payment. Anybody here ever paid a down payment for something you own? Really? Only four people? Five? Wow, you people must be stinking rich if you just go pay for everything without a down payment. Just write the check, baby. Forget the down payment. All right? Okay. All right. So, so we, got, we got this down payment happening here. Now look a little further in that verse 14. A down payment of somebody who has some ownership here. The owner is God. What does he own? His people. When you come to Jesus, brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. You are owned. You're a servant. You have a master. It's part of the deal. Now, here's the thing. I got, I got a question for you, okay? And for a moment here, let's remove ourselves from the spiritual thinking and let's go straight up materialistic here, okay? Let's go possessions, things, okay? Here's a question for you. When you own something very valuable, and you let your mind go there, it might be something different for some. For some of you, it might be a vehicle, okay? Might be, it might be a tool, that you have to use, and it's, it's, it's valuable, and, and, you, and you, take, you take really good care of it because it is valuable. Okay, now, again, we're not talking spiritually here. We're talking, we're talking just with stuff, materialistically, okay? Um, how do we define value materialistically? How much it costs. Okay? How much it would cost to replace it. How much it costs sometimes to fix it. And I'll tell you what. It hurts the old pocketbook. So therefore, you take really, really, really good care of it. And you tell your kids to also. Can I borrow the truck, Dad? Kids, how many times have you heard? You know how much that cost us? You ever heard that, students, children? I got a question for you. In the eyes of God, there's nothing more valuable than his people. How do I know that? Because of the price he paid. God shed his blood for the privilege of purchasing my and your freedom. My and your eternity. My and your holiness. 
Because if you ain't holy, you ain't going to be spending eternity with God. You couldn't survive it. Don't ever, brothers and sisters, question your value in the eyes of God. He died for you. For you, personally. 